The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Monday, November 7th, 2022, as the 2023 Major League Baseball offseason officially begins. The Houston Astros are the 2022 world champions after winning in six games against the Philadelphia Phillies in the World Series. Now the baseball world turns its attention to the upcoming offseason. And just like last year, we are starting the offseason with a bang. The New York Mets, first reported by Bob Nightingale, are resigning closer Edwin Diaz to a massive contract. Five years, $102 million. With the best free agent closer available, now not available, how does this impact Liam Hendricks' possible trade market? We'll discuss that topic later in the show. But first, the Chicago White Sox started their offseason officially introducing new manager Pedro Grafal. Here's Rick Khan talking about the process of how they decided on hiring Grafal. I think as an organization and as a baseball department, Jerry, Kenny, myself, uh, we're very proud of the, the process that led us to Pedro. Uh, it was a exhaustive uh, and expansive search. Uh, we've heard me make mention before to our lists in a drawer of potential candidates that we pull out when there is an opening. I think that initial list for manager had about 22 or 24 names on it. Uh, as we started to hear from other people uh, in the organization and outside the organization, friends of the program, that list swelled to about 30. Uh, we did due diligence on dug into just about all of them and ultimately uh, selected eight to sit down with for first round interviews. Uh, those eight were from seven different organizations, uh, including the White Sox, uh, throughout baseball. Uh, those first round interviews involved myself, uh, Chris Getz, Jeremy Haber, and Daniel Zion, all of who are, are present today and appreciate the, the work and effort that our department was able to put into this. Uh, ultimately, Kenny and I sat down with a few candidates, uh, and after that, there was a final round involving finalists with Jerry, Kenny, and myself in Arizona. Uh, I will say, and I'll, I'll get to this in a, in a moment, a little bit more about why Pedro uh, but Pedro was actually the, the second of the eight that we sat down with. And from about a mo- an hour into the, our conversation, it became very clear that the, the bar had been risen uh, and that the rest of the group that we were going to be meeting with over the course of the following week or 10 days uh, had a high standard to meet based on what Pedro uh, presented that day. I think at the end of actually our first meeting, I, I said to him uh, something to the effect that I uh, I know obviously you've been working towards becoming a big league manager for the last 20 years or so, and uh, I can't imagine that not happening here in the not-too-distant future, whether it's with us or somebody else. Uh, and we were very fortunate that it wound up being with us in the end. Uh, I know there's been some uh, 
information leaked out prior to today about the status of Pedro's coaching staff. Uh, the only thing or the only specifics I can get in today or we can get into today are about those individuals that we are certain will be on his next staff. Uh, Ethan Katz and Kurt Hassler will return in their previous roles. Uh, and we're uh, pleased to also share with you that Charlie Montoya will be joining Pedro's staff as a bench coach, as his bench coach. Uh, the remainder of those spots, we will go through a process with Pedro uh, to conduct some interviews. We have a number of names, uh, none of which we can really get into specifics about because they are mostly under contract with other clubs. There will be some internal candidates from within the White Sox organization for some of these spots. But I suspect at the end of the day, based on the conversations we've had over the last week or so, uh, or a couple of weeks, I should say, that the majority of those spots will be filled by individuals outside the White Sox organization. A follow-up question to Han's process was if Grafal's coming from the outside the organization a deciding factor in his hiring. All organizations run the risk of becoming a little insular, and you know, I think all 30 of us are guilty of falling in love with our own guys that you draft and develop and have whether you've traded for or signed as free agents with expectations. And sometimes it's good to get a little bit of a reality check from outside uh, and a more objective point of view, let's say. Uh, and I will say, I think it was important given, you know, some of the processes over the last few turnovers that we've had uh, to make clear that we were open-minded to different points of view and that we were in, uh, interested in what others had to say about us and how we were perceived and how we could get better. Uh, we obviously have had uh, a fair amount of success, but not enough. And when you get to that point of frustration that we all felt last year and knowing that you needed to uh, change perhaps the way we went about some things, I think it was essential for us to hear from as many different voices as we could about how to get this thing better and how to get it on track. Doesn't mean that we don't have some very high caliber coaches and scouts as part of this organization. It's a matter of complementing those points of view from time to time and, and getting a little bit of a reality check, perhaps. Grafal introduced himself, sharing a heartfelt story about his journey in becoming a manager thanks to his family's sacrifice. You guys epitomize the word uh, sacrifice. Uh, quick story, in 2011, it was about my third year as a farm director and came home from the complex one day and I told my wife, Allie, I said, you know, I'm starting to get that itch to go back on the field. And right away she jumped, uh, being so supportive, she jumped right back and said, well, go ahead and do it. And I said, well, you know, let me, let me sit down and talk to the girls uh, about it. So we had dinner that night and the girls, they were younger, uh, obviously 10, 11 years younger. And I told them, I said, you know, I've been in the office for three years. I don't think I like it that much. My passion's on the field. I'm getting an itch to go, to go back on the field. Right away, they jumped and said, just go ahead and do it. And I said, not so fast. There's a couple of things we got to talk about. The first thing is finances. Obviously, a farm director... Uh, makes a hell of a lot more money than a minor league manager. This house we're living in, we're probably going to have to downsize from this house and go into a condo close to the school in uh, Phoenix. And then the last thing, and most importantly, is I'm going to have to go to winter ball, continue to go to winter ball, and make ends meet. And that'll take me another three and a half months away from the house. And they snapped right back at me and said, how in the world can you tell us to chase our dreams if you're not chasing yours? I can't thank you enough for that. Finally, Grafal laid down what to expect from the 2023 White Sox. Here are some of the things that you can expect from the 2023 White Sox. We will communicate. Aquí falta de comunicación. No va, no, no va a haber. We will be fundamentally sound. We will play with passion, pride for this uniform. This means something. We will respect the game, our fans, and earn their trust. We will be prepared to control the strike zone on both sides of the ball. We will work hard and play winning baseball every night. And we will definitely hold each other accountable. 
I truly see great things happening here, and um, I, I'm really excited uh, to be a part of it. Thank you. Grafal says his introduction has been seen at the Chicago Blackhawks game with catcher Yasmani Grandal, visited local schools, bought lunch at the Vieta Beef Factory outlet, which is just right down the street from me. I don't know about you guys, but it really does seem the White Sox are a lot more excited and publicly promoting Grafal's hiring than what we have seen in the past, possibly part of their new marketing strategy of trying to earn the White Sox fans' trust back. But make no mistake, Grafal's hiring has the White Sox front office, in particular Rick Hahn, very excited. It's a different process than what we are used to with the White Sox. Will it carry forward in how they operate this offseason? Well, joining me to discuss is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com, it's Jim Margulis. And Jim, Pedro Grafal and his press conference. Many are saying he won the press conference. What are your first impressions of the new White Sox manager? He did. I don't know if that means anything, <laughs> but, uh, well, I, I guess, you know, we saw Tony La Russa in his press conference and the one where he didn't mention anybody who was actually on the team except for Tim Anderson. And that's because uh, I think it was Vinny Duber specifically referenced Tim Anderson as like a, can you get along with players in the clubhouse? Like he was talking about Chet Lemon and Kenny Williams and Harold Baines and all these players from the seventies and eighties. And he did not mention like Lucas Giolito or Liam Hendricks or anything like that. So uh, yeah, we saw that and that was very odd. And Rick Hahn using the, the passive uh, voice and uh, trying to distance himself from the decision. So we saw a press conference lost or at least not won in previous instances, like even like Rick Renteria, like when he was introduced, it was very muted. Rick Hahn was on the defensive because he had to explain why the White Sox hired somebody without a process and, uh, you know, why the status quo and continuity was so important for the White Sox to preserve. So we've seen that. And that wasn't like a bad performance in the press conference by Renteria, but it was like just odd and unsatisfactory through no reasons uh, that were his fault. But we've seen lesser press conferences, so I think we can say that Grafal won it. You know, we've seen other processes and press conferences with other sports, like with the Bears in particular, uh, with various uh, coaches like John Fox and Matt Nagy and so forth that were very... They won, the, they won the press conference and then turned out that they just had as little success as any other Bears coach. So it can only go so far, but I think it's like nice and refreshing for White Sox fans to be surprised and uh, be pleased like this to be like, Hey, this guy sounds like he's excited to have this job. And Rick Hahn sounds like he's excited for the white Sox to offer him this job. And everybody can be just a little bit excited, even if you're a skeptic and a cynic. And I think, you know, we probably have seen as much as anything when it comes to these managers, uh, you know, going through the, the course of the, the life cycle of a manager and the life cycle of a hitting coach and the life cycle of, uh, uh, rebuild and so forth. And so, you know, we can be hardened to the whole thing and jaded, but you know, I think it's just nice to have a process that can be explained and it sounds sensible and, and, and Griffal comes in and he sounds excited and sounds charged up. He's speaking kind of in cliches and kind of boilerplate things that we hear from new managers, but it's fine. It's nice. It's, you know, there, there was a process. Everybody's happy with it. He certainly has been through all of the jobs a non-manager can have up to this point. So sure. Give him a crack. He might, uh, you know, he might have some things to say and do with this job that others couldn't. It's normal. This is normal. Yes. This is what a normal <laughs> hiring process is for other teams hiring major league managers. This is what normal feels like, White Sox fans. So this is why it feels different. And it feels good because we've been asking for this for decades. NBC Sports Chicago put up a logo that Pedro Grafal is the first managerial hire by the White Sox with no White Sox ties mm -hmm. since Gene Lamont back in 1992. That's when my White Sox fandom began, Jim. Yeah. Okay? I was eight years old. <laughs> All right, I'm 37. Yeah, I, you know, I think Jerry Manuel's <laughs> ties were kind of minor. So, you know, I would count him as somebody not especially connected to what the White Sox had done. But yeah, no, it's it's nice to have this process. Like, I, I know that some were disappointed that, you know, Griffal came from Kansas City instead of uh, 
Tampa Bay or Houston or the Yankees and so forth. And I get that to a point, you know, when we talk about too, like, you know, just, he says he's analytically fluent, which is probably the case, especially like, say, if, you know, he's with Charlie Montoyo as his bench coach, like between the two of them, uh, they should have some experience and some hunger uh, in requesting and using information. So, you know, hopefully that inspires the White Sox to do more. But, you know, when it comes to the whole, you know, how he sold himself as a communicator, sure, you know, like that was kind of a part of the problem with the White Sox, you know, not as big a problem as other things, but I imagine some of the issues with who's healthy, who's not, who can play, who can't, uh, who's available, who isn't, who can run hard, who can't, like all that stuff that we debated for months and was a big unresolved issue for so long with so many players. Like I imagine at the heart of that is communication to some extent, whether it's the player to the manager, whether it's the manager to the front office, like there was a breakdown at some point in just in terms of representing how hopeless somebody might actually be when it comes to trying to get, you know, even close to 90% of what that player can offer. Yeah. I'm curious to see if Shelly Duncan still has a job with the Chicago White Sox. We have not heard about his status, but he was supposed to be, he was supposed <laughs> oh, yeah, to be that yeah, guy. Yeah. He was supposed to be the connective tissue between the front office and Tony La Russa. And if all we're hearing in this press conference was, yeah, maybe some of the things we were trying to communicate to the clubhouse, there was a disconnect. That's the guy. That's the point guy in the White Sox organization. So if Shelly Duncan doesn't have a job with the White Sox, well, now you know why. And the uh, the whole hiring of Charlie Mantoyo, I like it. Uh, I'm still unclear who made this decision. It's not Pedro Grafal, though. Somebody else did, <laughs> based on the timeline. Kinda, yeah. I mean, like the way you know, you know, Han said it was collaborative, which made it sound like a a euphemism for uh, we chose him for you, or maybe like we chose we had a, we had a short list uh, to go through, and we settled on him, but we produced the list and we talked th- it through. Uh, that was kind of how I took Han's term, and then like you know, on the on sports radio, uh, and also Griffald didn't say anything at that point. You know, that was a case where Han answered and answered only and Griffal stayed silent. And then when he was on Parkins and Spiegel afterwards on 670, the score, he said that, you know, have you given any thought of your bench coach? And uh, Griffal said that he talked a, a lot, you know, with uh, baseball people he knew to try to get an idea of like who would be a good choice among available candidates and somebody floated Montoyo. And so he presented that name to the White Sox and the White and, and Rick Han, you know, smiled when he said it. And so. I don't know if I buy that sounds like kind of like maybe ex post facto, you know, rationalizing. And I would think it's maybe more like, you know, we uh, a case where like, you know, hiring Montoyo after he got, you know, kicked to the curb by the Blue Jays because he wasn't somebody who could really motivate a team uh, to power through a rut that they were dealing with. Hiring him as a manager like might be a little bit like hard to sell. Uh, especially like it's a case where like it might be a little bit of Peter principle coming into play, like a good, well-respected bench coach got a managerial job and just didn't have what it took to uh, get that team, uh, you know, in championship mode. Like that might be a hard sell to a, a, a team that just dealt with that, uh, you know, uh, for an entire season uh, with Tony La Russa. So, you know, maybe it's a case where like, we like Montoyo. He's like our, our Tampa Bay bench coach, but we can't sell him for this job. So if we get a new guy, but we can have Montoyo in the organization, that might be a better way to go. But I mean, like everything I've read and, and heard about Montoyo makes it sound like he can work with just about anybody. Like, in fact, like it seemed like it was a case where reading through the, why was he fired in Toronto? It sounded like the blue Jays wanted him to be meaner. Like the, uh, everybody liked him well enough, but just like, there's just, uh, something's not getting through and just, we need, you know, kind of like what Liam Hendricks said about needing an authoritarian. Uh, it sounded like, you know, Toronto dealt with the same thing. And so like, you know, maybe Montoyo just isn't that guy, but between the two of them, the knowledge, uh, the experience in the managerial job, maybe Montoyo has some things he can take from, you know, doing it wrong the first time. Like, you know, Bob Melvin was a case like where, you know, he did it wrong the first time and he got a second job. Ned Yost is a guy like Dusty Baker's a guy like all these guys who have uh, had some success in the managerial position like over the years and might be the best at their jobs or reach the heights 
uh, you know, with their jobs, like they failed initially and failed pretty hard. And so like, you know, Montoyo having that recent experience might be a good guy to bring in, but yeah, I do think it's a little bit funny. Like I don't quite buy what the white Sox were selling in terms of like, just, uh, how they came to agree on, on Montoyo. But if Griffal is good with them, yeah, I'm hoping it was at least a list. You know, it was a list of just, you know, guys they had in mind. And, you know, if you have some strong objections, we won't hire him, but if you feel as good about him as like other guys, then let's go with him. Yeah, I I guess I in the end, Montoya is a good bench coach option. It's just mm-hmm. it's humorous to me on how you came yeah. to this uh, conclusion. Grafal's gonna have a say in the rest of the coaching staff. He's got to fight a hitting coach. He's got to fight base coaches. So hopefully Pedro Grafal gets to decide that. But yeah, can we can we circle back to Shelly Duncan real quick? Like that's it's funny. I hadn't really even thought of him. Like not only like after LaRusso's fire, but just like, I think he came up like a couple times in the first half. And I think I saw him tweet once (laughs) like otherwise, like he was just a non-factor. And so it's going to be fascinating. Like if he just kind of disappears or if his role disappears, is it a case like it was take your former pitching coach's kid to work year or work two years? (laughs) Like just like you know, it was funny when they mentioned him, it's like, yeah, they could use a guy like him unless they're creating this job for him because he's a Duncan. And, uh, I guess we'll find out shortly, but yeah, just amazing. And just how much of a, or maybe it's a case where like, you know, the white Sox had some suspicions about like what kind of avenues of communication they could forge with La Russa. So it's like, maybe if we have a Duncan on staff, uh, maybe like Shelly can lobby through Dave if there's something he really wants to get through LaRusse's head. <laughs> but otherwise, like that's just the kind of end around it needed to take. But fortunately, you know, that's a case where, yeah, it, it, it's he's not a factor. But uh, I think uh, it was James Feigen who said like that October 31st is when all these contracts lapse. You know, maybe it's a case where postseason, you know, there's an extra week that can be thrown onto it uh, when the postseason extends longer beyond October 31st. But mm-hmm. uh, he said like, if you heard about... Uh, Ethan Katz and Kurt Hasler, it's for a reason. Everybody else can more or less consider them gone or at least assume they are. And then if they come back, it's a surprise. So I guess Duncan falls in that category. A question that I got after the news was announced uh, and the press conference got cut out because of technical difficulties. I I hosted a Twitter space just to talk about as far as the introduction press conference, some of the things that Grafal said, some of the things that Rick Hahn said. That caught my attention, and I got this question during the Twitter space, and I want to ask you, Jim, because this is a really good question. Which player on the current White Sox roster could benefit the most from Grafal's hiring? Now, I picked Yasmani Grandal because of Grafal's previous work with Salvador Perez and helping Perez become one of the best hitting catchers in baseball. Do you have another player in mind, Jim, that could have a big impact with Grafal's hiring? Mm, Yeah, I think there are a bunch player underachieving the most that just might benefit from another voice. It might be on Mankata. Just like, that's kind of my thought is just, you know, he's, he has the most ground to make up. Like Luis Robert was fine when he's healthy. He just wasn't healthy. Aloy Jimenez was fine when he is healthy, just not healthy. You know, Grandal mentioned is a good case, but also he just, you know, he's somebody who there might've been some kind of communication gap. And it's hard to know with him just because, you know, he needed, he felt like he needed to start more behind the plates and that's kind of a hard sell for somebody playing as poorly as he was like, you know, you could pitch another way. Like you're lucky you're playing at all. <laughs> you're lucky that, you know, it was just kind of uh, it wasn't, you know, Sebi Zavala and Reese McGuire and you were like, you know, not DFA, especially if it's like he's reaching the end, like he is wall pretty quickly. But I think like Mankata, just in terms of like, you know, perhaps, when it comes to communication, knowing what he has to give, that's kind of the case where like, can he run hard? Can he not? Is his leg bothering him? Is he not? Is he going through some like, you know, you know, long COVID? Is he not? Is he dealing with some, you know, off field issues? And, and, you know, it came up at some point uh, with the White Sox and like social media team talking about like how he missed his family. Like, just like, is he dealing with some kind of like just, a, you know, going through emotional rut? Is he not like, that's a case where there's just a lot of different factors that could be uh, playing into why he played so poorly last year. So if there's somebody who can, you know, be more of an empathetic shoulder for like, just, you know, working through some things, or maybe like a, a somebody who can maybe kind of, uh, uh, do a push and pull, like, uh, you know, be somebody who can be empathetic on some aspects and maybe more of a, 
uh, red ass and others like, okay, I believed you here, but I can't believe you here. Like that's a case where like, he might need a little bit of, uh, you know, tough love in some respects. And, you know, but you know, maybe if you gain his trust in one area, you might be able to push him harder in another. Like, that's the kind of thing where just, there are so many things I don't know about you on Mankata to where like, just maybe having somebody different in charge and the way, like, you know, the way he played for, you know, Rick Renteria and such, and then having his best, uh, ball with him there. And then like even playing through some tough COVID times, uh, like it's a case where, yeah, you might have, uh, you know, just somebody who might be more of a, a shoulder to lean on, you know, that might be the kind of guy Moncada responds better to than somebody who, you know, you know, with Larusa, like nobody said a bad thing about him. And I think that was maybe a testament to the, like some of the White Sox clubhouse leadership to where like, if there were complaints, uh, nobody really aired it out about Larusa specifically. You know, perhaps that's maybe a case where Mankata is the one who can thrive. And that's really maybe only a case where like just he played so poorly that he can only play better, even if it isn't his 2019 heights. Well, there is more work to be done for the Chicago White Sox as the GM meetings begin this week in Las Vegas. You also have deadlines coming up for club and player options. The White Sox have already picked up one club option. We'll talk about that news in a moment and qualifying offers. After a quick word from our sponsors, we'll take a look at the upcoming decisions that we've made this week and Liam Hendricks' trade market after Edwin Diaz's big signing. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Jim on Sunday put together a very helpful article at SoxMachine.com, which lists all of the important offseason dates. Starting today is the GM meetings held in Las Vegas. Maybe a little tour of where the athletics are planning on building their new stadium. During this time, Rick Hahn has two club options to officially decide on, and he has made one decision already. As John Heyman reported on Sunday, the Chicago White Sox are exercising the club option for Tim Anderson. The other to be announced officially is Josh Harrison, but Jim with Pedro Grafal now wearing number five, I think the writing is literally on the wall uh, with Harrison not coming back for the 2023 season, unless he's going to wear another number. There is AJ Pollock's decision with the player option. He's got until Thursday to make up his mind as Thursday at 4 PM central time. Free agents are officially eligible to sign with new teams. Jim, how do we expect the White Sox to play this offseason? I think, you know, it's starting out with Harrison, you know, as you mentioned with the Griffal picking number five, although Rick Hahn did say like, thanks to Josh Harrison for giving him his number. Like he did, he didn't tip his hand or he avoided, like he, he tried to patch that gap, uh, potential gap um, when it came to his rhetoric. But yeah, like the way I looked at Harrison signing last year was like, you can't have him and Larry Garcia on the roster. They fill the same purpose. Um, best case scenario is, you know, you get an average second baseman for $11 million. Uh, worst case scenario is kind of what we saw last year where you just, you pay $11 million and you don't solve a position. So I don't think they can go down that road again. And then Pollock, you know, unless the Edwin Diaz uh, thing you mentioned was just uh, really 
points to an insane uh, feeding frenzy and, and the average salaries for Major League Baseball going up across the board. I imagine that he's back in the fold, but yeah, I kind of tip my hand with that because with the offseason plan project template, I put in exercise for Pollock's option and said, like, you have to really make a compelling argument against this because it's really hard to see him passing up what's effective or hard to see him doing better than $8 million on the open market unless he really didn't like playing in Chicago to where, like, he'll cost himself a few million, a few million dollars to play anywhere else. Well, he could. He's an elder millennial. We'll see. I mean, if he doesn't like Chicago, then, yeah, he can try free agency if he wants to sign on with a team that he likes playing for. We'll see. Maybe he likes the idea that Pedro Grafal will be his manager, and he does opt in. He's got until Thursday to make a decision. So we'll know sometime this week what's going on with A.J. Pollock and if he's going to be part of the 2023 White Sox, at least for the time being. Who knows? Maybe the White Sox can make a trade and send Pollock elsewhere if he does exercise that player option. The Mets did not waste any time this offseason signing Edwin Diaz. Five years, $102 million for closer. That would easily, easily be the largest free agent contract by the Chicago White Sox. And the Mets just gave Diaz that money, and he's a closer. Jim, are the Mets crazy given Diaz this much money? Uh, kind of. I mean, like, he's guaranteed more than the contracts for David Robertson and Liam Hendricks combined. <laughs> uh, David Robertson signed for $46 million. Hendricks signed for $54. That's $100, so $2 million short of those two. And we thought those two were a lot, so that kind of contextualizes it for me. Um, he's making $2 million. He's also setting the record for average annual value because Liam Hendricks had, well, depending on how you count Hendricks, because, like, if it's three years... Uh, then Hendricks is making $18 million. And that's a case where like, then that's the average annual value. If he counted as four years, then, you know, Hendricks loses some of that AAV, you know, it depends on whether it's picked up, but uh, I think they count it right now as 18. So that tops Hendricks's record for AAV, but also like total guaranteed value. And that does seem nuts to me because, you know, maybe a team like the Mets, it's not insane. And like, it doesn't get in the way of their spending. So, you know, good for you. But, you know, I, I would consider it good for you because like, you know, as you mentioned and, and you've been uh, pitching, you know, both on your offseason plan and elsewhere, like Liam Hendricks's trade value, I was kind of not skeptical, but I just wondered like how many teams, you know, would pay two years and $29 million for a closer. Teams would gladly pay that, but how much would they pay in talent for the privilege of paying that? Like, I wondered like how much value we'd have, but like, you know, perhaps with uh, Diaz being snapped up and not a whole lot better out there and two years and 29 million now seems reasonable for a commitment, uh, eminently. So like, uh, uh, yeah, I do see his value rising a little bit because of that contract, even if maybe the Mets and Diaz and the Timmy, Timmy trumpet uh, entry is so unique to that market that just, uh, they'd be happy to pay it and it's not going to affect or inflate salaries elsewhere too much. Are the Mets going to have a $300 million payroll? Because they got to make a decision on Jacob DeGrom. Mm -hmm. Brandon Nemo is a free agent if they want to bring him back. I mean, that could be like $70 million in average annual value if they brought back DeGrom and Nemo. Like, they got to be inching close to $300 million if they do that. Or they let DeGrom go. And I'm just going to throw this out there with any of the upcoming MLB free agent contests. I'm wondering if the Mets go after Justin Verlander to re have a reunion between Verlander and Max Scherzer hmm. uh, back from their old Detroit days. And, you know, if they let Brandon Nemo walk, do they go after Aaron Judge and throw him a ton of cash? But, yeah, the Mets, the Mets are going to have like $300 million payroll. I figure in 2023, Jim. Yeah. I mean, it'd be kind of, it'd be kind of awesome. cool. I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, just, I, I wonder like, you know, if they're spending that much, what stops the Dodgers and then what stops or like, how does that affect New York with the Yankees? Because the Yankees have been, uh, said to have cheaped out or not have leveraged the full power of the Yankee, uh, brand and the, uh, you know, revenue and the money cannon and so forth. So like, uh, yeah, what's their excuse? You know, what's anybody's excuse really? But especially like, you know, the other New York team. The fascinating thing down the line is, you know, with, with all the labor talks and, you know, 
in the, in the past labor negotiations, there's been a whole thing about like, will the player side crack? You know, are there divisions in the ranks when it comes to try, you know, young players versus older players pre arb or pre, uh, you know, even, even pre majors, like, you know, minor leaguers, like how do they factor in draft picks, et cetera. If there's that kind of, if Steve Cohen is throwing around $300 million payrolls and gladly paying the luxury tax year after year after year, no matter the escalators, like does that cause fishers in the ownership ranks in the way we saw like the divide in the nineties, uh, yeah, that, that's going to be a, a fasting development. But for now, just like, yeah, just kind of go nuts, build super teams. I like seeing that, especially like, you know, with the expanded postseason and the idea that you're like, oh, teams might be, you know, spending less because it's easier to get in and you don't have to build great teams anymore. I'm all for great teams. Uh, that's cool to see. And I, I like the ambition and making other teams try to raise their games. So we talked about Liam Hendricks' trade market and how, it may have approved with Edwin Diaz off the board. I think a team like the Los Angeles Dodgers, they should be calling. They they had trust issues at the end of the season with high leverage, and I think it just makes a ton of sense. They have redundancy at second base. They got a lot of talent there. They have seven top 100 prospects, so I think they could even flip someone that's in you know the 70 range as one of the couple starting pitchers that they have. The Dodgers have what the White Sox need. The White Sox have what the Dodgers need. Figure it out is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. I do like the offseason plan projects that suggest other teams. I like the ideas about the St. Louis Cardinals. We saw what happened in game one of the wild card where they blew that lead and maybe that just really turned the tide of that entire series and launched the Philadelphia Phillies on their incredible postseason run even though they lost the World Series. That was one hell of a run by the Phillies this year. So I love I love the ideas. I just right now, if I had to pick a side, uh, I'm thinking Liam Hendricks is pitching in another uniform in 2023, Jim, because I just think it makes too much sense. And listen, if you're right on the money with the 190 million dollar payroll, yeah, you could keep Liam Hendricks, but that really restricts on what you could do this offseason. If the White Sox are going to move anyone off the 26 man roster that other teams would covet. I'm going to keep saying this. It's Liam Hendricks. There was that whole subplot when it came to the two years of Tony LaRusso with like, how much is, you know, Rick Hahn have to say in terms of like, you know, how he's building the roster. And that's partially like, you know, the quest to find some, some defensible member of the White Sox decision-making ranks, even though we've seen Rick Hahn, you know, Rick Hahn didn't need uh, Tony LaRusso to make bad decisions uh, when it comes to free agency and allocations of funds. So like, I didn't really buy it, but you know, when it came to like, maybe Joe Kelly was one, but yeah, I don't, I don't think he was a reason why Kendall Graven's aboard. Like Joe Kelly, I can kind of see, I don't, I don't think he was the reason why like Liam Hendricks is aboard. We saw that with David Robertson previously. So like, just, I think there is the, the idea that, um, you know, the White Sox really like bullpens, but it will be something to see like, you know, how, you know, with Rick Hahn being so giddy uh, with the Pedro Grafal area. And if they they do have a different idea, especially like Montoyo coming in from Toronto and how they just bludgeon the ball up there and, and, you know, basically bludgeon mm-hmm. the ball first and then built the pitching staff later. I wonder if they're going to have some say in terms of like the guys they want and just how to best build a winner to where like maybe the White Sox can unravel their bullpen a little bit yeah on purpose just you know unwind it um take some money out of it try to internally solve some problems or look for like you know whether it's in trades or you know some kind of live arms that they can fashion into a high leverage threat sooner rather than later uh and all of a sudden they go from spending 40 million dollars in their bullpen to maybe like high 20s or you know especially if they trade hendrix like mid 20s uh i think that's a healthier portion of their payroll just question is like, can there, you know, can they have the guys answer the bell on back-to-back days, which Graveman can't do. And Lopez was just getting okay at like, do they feel comfortable enough doing that? But they'll at least have some, if they can unwind their bullpen spending and, and, and not, you know, not trade Hendricks, but just to sign like a $10 million closer instead of a $15 million closer. That's, I think what's going to be fascinating to me watching Rick Hahn's decision-making in the post Tony La Russa era. You make really good points, Jim. And back to the Mets, giving Edwin Diaz all this money and why I think it's a bit crazy. The Mets have needs, even though they won 101 games. Like, there's questions about the starting pitching staff. Chris Bassett is a free agent. Is he coming back? DeGrom is a free agent. Is he coming back? I just feel like I understand you have this five-day period, 
And as far as shopping, let's go in the offseason. We understand it. Some guys are ready to sign immediately. Some guys want to play out the game. So you sign the guys that are ready to sign immediately and have them in, on board. So you can't pick and choose when you can address the DeGrom and Bassett situation if they really want to test free agency and get offers elsewhere. It's just a matter of principle. Closers out of the 1,478 regular season innings, if they only pitch mm-hmm. at 55 to 65 innings a season, they're only participating in like 3 to 4% of your regular season. Liam Hendricks is the fourth highest paid player for the Chicago White Sox entry the 2023 season. When you got holes at second base, right field, and your starting pitching staff, you can't pay someone who only plays 3 to 4% of the season the fourth most amount of money. You just can't. So that's why this is a matter yeah. of principle for me. Liam Hendricks has been great, and we have said that. He's been mm-hmm. everything the White Sox have asked. He is a need for other teams, and the White Sox have other needs. If they could flip Hendricks to address those needs, I say do it. But he has been great. And Jerry Reinsdorf's like, you know what? Screw you, Steve Cohen. We're going to have a $300 million budget. Well, then obviously keep Liam Hendricks. <laughs> I just don't have a lot of confidence the White Sox going past the luxury tax. But on that point, Jim, because we see a giddy Rick Hahn, and we've seen the White Sox operate with a different process, finally being a normal team in securing their manager. Should we expect the White Sox front office to act differently this offseason? Maybe not expect, but be open to it. I think we've seen, I mean, Rick Hahn's been around for 20 years, and he's, you know, it's a case where, like, he's had three different managers. You know, Robin Ventura and Rick Renteria, Tony La Russa, this will be his fourth manager. So just... We've seen him with enough guys, guys he's hired, guys he's inherited, guys that were foisted upon him to where just the body of work is what it is. If he wants to try to like in going into a second decade of being the general manager, like try something different, like have like the equivalent of a midlife crisis, I'm for it. Like if he wants to just, uh, you know, all of a sudden ditch everything he's known for and be somebody else, like this would be the time, uh, you know, last, the status quo is garbage. Uh, just when it, in, and the hiring of Pedro Gafal was a rejection of their status quo. So yeah, keep doing that. Uh, keep doing different stuff. Um, but uh, as we saw, you know, we, we talked about just, you know, I wanted him to prove and the White Sox to prove that they could actually see a process all the way through and not uh, end up with some kind of just, um, you know, insular, you know, candidate who can't be fired by the general manager. If things aren't working out, like I, that's the nice thing about Grafal is like, and, and that's one of the chief reasons why I didn't want Ozzie Guillen. Like, even if I felt better about Ozzie Guillen as a candidate, like, I didn't trust that Rick Hahn could fire him if things weren't working out. Like, that's a case where just, like, I just thought, like, you know, it'd be a Jerry Ryan sort of decision again. Like, he just couldn't do it. Couldn't bring himself to do it again. So it's a case where, um, Good point. you know, now I feel like Griffal, if he doesn't work out, or if there's, like, a tweak that can be made, you know, Rick Hahn can fire him, like, when a real general manager fires a guy. Yeah, it's a rejection of the status quo. So keep doing that. Keep keep doing different things like unwind the bullpen. If you have to try to super solve some areas of need, try to work on building leads. And then like, if the bullpen gets a bit dicey, like the Phillies mid season, uh, some that ironed itself out like the nationals in 2019, they went from the worst bullpen to a good enough one. Like you can fix a bullpen mid season. It's as we saw, like over the course of uh, six months, like it's harder to reliably build, uh, leads and, Mm -hmm. and, have save situations uh, that matter. Like if you have a problem where like, you know, you have too many blown saves, like that's partially a good thing because that means you have save opportunities to begin with. Uh, and that's kind of how I'd look at the season and uh, in, in the task at hand is try to create save situations. Uh, if they get a bit dicey, good <laughs> in a way. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's bad for your blood pressure. Sure. But like uh, if you're, if you can keep uh, having leads going to the ninth, uh, then yeah, uh, great. Solve that problem. And Kendall Graveman's done the job mm-hmm. for those wondering if you trade Hendricks, who's going to close Graveman's done it unless you move him. I also like the idea of Ronaldo Lopez. He could hit triple digits out with the fastball. He's got that breaky pitch. Why not? You got options. You got plenty of power arms, in that bullpen. You could figure it out. 
But that will do it for this Sox Machine podcast. A quick update here. I'm heading to New Orleans for a mini vacation this week, but don't you worry. We've got new episodes coming your way while I'm away as we look at Lucas Giolito's situation with the White Sox in 2023. Is he a trade target? We'll also take a deep dive into Yasmani Grandal and Yohan Makata. How do the White Sox fix these two as they really need both of them to bounce back in big ways for the 2023 season? That's what you have to look forward to. We also have two things to promote real quick. One on SoxMachine.com. We currently have a survey that went out. And so far, Jim, we've had over 300 people yes, uh, fill out the survey. Thank you so much. Uh, the more the merrier. This survey is a list of questions that will influence some of the decision making as we prepare for the 2023 Major League Baseball season. We are already planning on making some tweaks in our coverage, uh, but your feedback will help with those discussions and some of the changes that we'll make going to 2023. No, there's not going to be huge changes to the way that we still do content at Sox Machine. Jim's still going to write every single day. There's still going to be the podcast. We're going to do more, but what kind of more are we going to do? And with uh, some social media platforms in flux, is there other avenues we should possibly pursue. So your feedback would be wonderful. Again, you can go to SoxMachine.com and fill out the survey there. Also, if you enjoy our work and you want to help support us, you could do so at Patreon.com slash SoxMachine, where we have a new Patreon tier. It's called the Veterans Committee. So for our Patreon supporters, Jim and I hosted a town hall a couple weeks ago, and that's one of the big benefits as well of being a Patreon supporter is that they get a glimpse of the inner workings of what we do behind the curtain at SoxMachine.com. And we presented what our two-year plan is going to be at Sox Machine and the type of growth that we want to do. And one of the goals is to make me full-time. And there's a lot of benefits if I go full-time with Sox Machine. We could do more multimedia coverage, more things with social media, more in-depth stuff. But right now, mm-hmm. I have two jobs. I have my regular full-time job, and also the things at Sox Machine. Jim's got two full-time jobs. He's a dad. <laughs> He's got Sox Machine. And uh, yeah, and your support goes a long way. So this is what the Veterans Committee provides, this new tier. So you, it's a lot of the same things with Patreon support, ad-free content with bonus content, removes ads from SoxMachine.com. You get access to all of our Patreon-exclusive posts. You get to still submit questions to podcast guests at P.O. Sox. Some new things. You get one of every new item at the Sox Machine store. When we have Sox Machine events, events, you get tickets. And we'll also do Veteran Committee hangouts a few times a year. We have created a private group text with Jim and I through a app called GroupMe. It's been very entertaining so far for those that have signed up. And you can also go curling with Jim. Yes. Uh, no, I'm, 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 I'm serious about that. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a case where, you know, we talked about it before in the town hall, but just uh, over the, uh, you know, when, when trying to figure out how to get Josh full-time, uh, because like, as I've worked two full-time jobs, even before uh, my son was born and that turned into its own thing. Like, you know, I worked at the uh, newspaper and then also did socks machine and Southside socks. And uh, the, the case for, uh, the burnout is, is very real. Like, you know, when you're trying to, uh, manage just the workload for two jobs. And so like, you know, we could try to do more, uh, but also there's a case, like if you try to do more when you're already working two jobs, that's a case where like, if we got to the point of two years from now where Josh could be full time, he might not want to do it anymore just because like, it's just, it's a lot. So, uh, you know, we're trying to, uh, you know, we have a two year plan to preserve Josh's sanity over the two years. And, uh, that's the idea. So we can get across that finish line and still be going full speed. But we had some, um, you know, we, we've had some supporters along the way who have been very, very generous and like supporting well above the tiers. And, you know, we looked at the idea of, well, we set the prices for tiers five years ago. We could just raise the rates for everybody a little bit. And that might be an argument for that. But, you know, given just, you know, the state of things right now, when it comes to just the, everything costing more, didn't necessarily want to do that. And, and we're grateful for everybody who supports us. So we looked at it the other way and said, like, well, we have these uh, supporters who have been extremely, exceedingly generous this full time, supporting us well above a tier, uh, yeah, any tier that we have. So we may as well just maybe we can just codify that. And, uh, you know, because we've been kind of doing these rewards already for some people. So we just figured, let's just make them, uh, you know, 
put them into place, advertise them. If anybody just has the urge to join them on that tier, cool. Uh, if not, uh, then like keep supporting us in the tiers you do. We'll keep providing what we provide, but just figure that's probably the way to, uh, you know, best do it, uh, at, at this rate. Um, you know, and, and we're, it's worth revisiting and, you know, in the future and we will continue to do so but that seemed to be the best way to do it to where we just you know keep support uh, keep providing for the people who uh support us and just you know maybe uh provide some benefits for the people who have been supporting us above and beyond uh and literally above and beyond because it was above and beyond any tier that we had so uh, that's generally the idea, uh, but you know we're grateful for everybody who supports us, whether it's uh, you know two dollars, whether it's you know five thousand, and we don't have a five thousand dollars supporter, but if they did, <laughs> we'd be grateful. But just uh, you know, just uh, thank you for everybody who supports us, and and yeah, as we mentioned with the survey, just looking to figure out how to fine tune those efforts to where we can uh, you know balance. Uh, reader interests with uh, you know best generating revenue to continue doing what we do. So that's what we're going for here. And the new Patreon tier, as far as the pricing, there's the monthly plan and the yearly plan. The monthly plan is fifty dollars a month. The yearly plan is six hundred dollars. Again, you're gonna get access to Jim and I, and with the private group text, you'll have a direct line to Jim and I on any type of questions when there's rumors and gossip about the Chicago White Sox. When we do have these events. And uh, especially paid events, you're going to get tickets for those events. You don't have to pay anything for them. Uh, you'll have free tickets to those events. And when we do our veteran committee hangouts a few times a year, you're going to be invited to those. So if you really enjoy our work at SoxMachine.com and if you enjoy Jim and I's company, this is the Patreon tier for you. Again, you can sign up at Patreon.com slash SoxMachine. If you are brand new to this podcast, if you just discover it, you can subscribe to the Socks Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. Still follow us on Twitter, as long as that continues to last, at Socks Machine, and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Socks Machine. The Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.